Welcome to Healthcare Unfiltered. I'm your host, Shadi Nabhan. I'm a hematologist. I'm a medical oncologist, and I have interest in all aspects of healthcare delivery, treatment, leadership, mentorship, and policy. I'm taping this episode as I'm sporting the famous Healthcare Unfiltered t-shirt that hopefully you have seen on the internet. And if you are interested in getting one and you are a loyal listener, just send me a note on Twitter, direct message at Shadi Nabhan. Today's episode is really important because I wanted to talk to an entrepreneur. I wanted to talk to someone who has created something out of nothing. And Dr. Leah Houston is exactly the entrepreneur that you want to listen to and hopefully support. She is a physician. She's an emergency physician by training, and she practiced for a decade. But then she identified a problem. And because of that problem, she decided to venture out of medicine, stop practicing, and build not one company, but two companies that hopefully solve a problem that physicians usually encounter. Specifically, more of the privacy problems, identity problems, you know, maybe stealing identity or not. And also data, you know, how can we really protect the data that the physicians have and make sure that this data is not stolen, is not sold anywhere. And I really wanted to meet Dr. Houston to ask about her experience as an entrepreneur as well as what is it that she's actually doing and what is she trying to accomplish. I think this is really important. It's an episode that's going to inspire you to know how you get something done. And if you have the perseverance, the resilience, and this is what you want to accomplish. So very excited to host Dr. Leah Houston. And you can also watch this episode on my YouTube channel, Chadi Nabhan and Healthcare Unfiltered. You could also um, certainly uh, listen to all podcast outlets for this episode. So without further ado, Dr. Leah Houston on Healthcare Unfiltered Podcast. Well, folks, I'm really excited today to host Dr. Leah Houston on the Healthcare Unfiltered podcast. Uh, I've been very much looking forward to this conversation, but Dr. Houston's schedule is impossible to navigate. So here we are. Finally, we're able to get you on Healthcare Unfiltered. And, and Leah, I'm very much looking forward to hopefully meeting you in person at some point. But uh, I've been following your, your work on social media, and I... And I I really feel, and I felt that having you on the show would be very helpful, not only to me as a host, but really to a lot of listeners, because you do a lot of things. That's why you're busy, but um, I want them to get to know what you're doing. And um, I, I was trying, I'm going to have you introduce yourself, but um, you know, when I try to describe what you do, I think there's a, a lot of everything, including being advocate for patients, for and foremost, first and foremost but advocate for physicians as well. And you've been very vocal about a lot of things that really affect physicians. And you leverage data and blockchain, which we'll talk about in, in your attempts to, to, to do all of this. But I probably did not do you justice. So if you wanna introduce yourself to listeners. Well, I am a physician first, uh, an advocate 
for patients, as you mentioned, for our fellow physician colleagues, because without uh, competent, empathetic, compassionate, resilient physicians, patients cannot get good care, period, end of story. And I think that, you know, we realized, especially during coronavirus, that, you know, physicians are not able to properly do their job in the current system. The current system is outdated and, you know, it's friction filled. And even though I practiced medicine for 10 years, uh, nearly 10 years as an emergency doc all over the country, I experienced it even back then, you know, and it's gotten worse. And so that's why I left uh, to pursue this solution that has the potential to really change everything for all players, but especially patients and the doctors that care for them. So Lina, t- tell me a little bit about the transition. You, you practice emergency room as an emergency physician for, for a while. Did something happen that make you decide, I don't want to practice anymore, I want to move to something else? Or, and, and how did you make that transition and why? To the extent you want to share or you're able to share. Yeah, of course. Um, well, you know, I have to be honest, this wasn't some, you know, heroic, I'm leaving this horrible system to go start this journey. Um, my mom actually got cancer. And I was working as an emergency doc in New York. And I was, I cut back on my hours and was trying to coordinate her chemo and when she was going to be sick with help from friends and family. But I was working, you know, 12 hour overnight shifts in the ED. And um, one night my mother fell. And um, I said, you know what, that's it. I have to take some time off. And so I actually stopped working for that reason. Uh, But I had already started thinking about this. My identity had been stolen essentially a year before she was diagnosed and i reached a um you know for those of you who don't know i i had a hospital use my credentials and bill under my name when i wasn't even working there anymore and uh, that's where i got this idea but you know my mom being sick is what really led me to leave but at her bedside between sloan kettering and our home in new york city i was um able to really start digging into this uh, potential um, opportunity and really dig into the potential business model and do some feasibility research. And uh, that's when this was born. It was born really because I had the time because I had already left um, to take care of my mom. So you had decided to leave practice because your mom was sick. Uh, and, and, and that's when you learned that somebody stole your identity, a hospital used your identity to bill for services? No, that happened about a year earlier, but I reached a settlement agreement with the hospital and I was like, okay, that's behind me. I started working again. Everything was fixed. But, you know, when it was resolving, actually, when the problem happened, as soon as I got over the shock, I had already learned about decentralized identity and um, self-sovereign identity and data ownership and data provenance that can happen with that. And uh, I put two and two together and realized the solution, but I was like, I just need to get back to work. And then my mom got sick. So I had the idea, the thought, but I wasn't able to really do any kind of feasibility research or dig into the potential um, opportunity until I decided to leave for another reason, which was to take care of my mom. But the problem that you were trying to solve was stolen identity of physicians specifically how ubiquitous is that problem is that pretty common well i wasn't only trying to solve that problem because it's it's way more common than people think i've had probably 
you know, close to under a hundred, but definitely dozens of people who have reached out to me. Oh my God, that's happened to me too, since they've oh. heard. And so the fact that there's dozens of people that reached out to me, how many people are listening to this podcast? I don't know. Most of them didn't have as big of a problem as I did because most of them were still within their own state uh, with me because I left the state, the federal government that I was practicing without a license and all that stuff. So it was a different situation. Doctors don't leave their state as often. But this solution isn't just about credential and identity misappropriation and credential and identity theft. This is really about my right to move quickly and to prove my identity uh, in order to work where I want, how I want. Um, and then also to leverage this type of technology to create secure private connections, not only between me and my colleagues, which is what our application currently does, but between uh, my patients and I eventually. Okay. So I just want to get that straight. So for, for listeners, so the goal is or let's identify the problem. The problem is that there are some physicians that get their identity stolen and uh, it could be stolen by healthcare system. Let's, uh, let's just, the problem is doctors are being abused. Yes, and, I know that, yes. <laughs> and we have no rights. We have no rights over our right to work. We have no rights over the data that we generate. We have no rights to revoke permission to use our credentials when we work for somebody. We have no right to interact with each other. We have to be, essentially we're allowing these insurance networks to put us in their networks and then that's how we are allowed to work. We have no right to practice freely. That is the problem we are solving. And we're doing it through personal data ownership and ownership over your credentials in a digital space and your right to work, interact, move and do everything in medical. Everything is digital now. We write on the EHR, that's digital. We write prescriptions on prescription databases, digital. We even use social media connections, digital. Other, you know, other uh, methods of communication are all digital. The way patients find us, digital. You know, all these, you know, I'm not gonna name the names of the companies, but patients look online, they Google, and they find us somehow, that's all digital. We do not have any rights or ownership to the information out there. We are being used and abused at every level, sometimes by our employers and our health systems, sometimes by insurance companies, sometimes by third party data brokers who are selling our data and our information. All right. My example was an extreme example of in-house identity theft, but this solution solves identity provenance problems and identity ownership problems ubiquitously across the healthcare system not just in credentialing. Yeah, in terms of the, um, the going back just a little bit about the um, our data is being stolen and so forth, part of me says, uh, and I don't want to minimize the problem because obviously, you know, we all have uh, stakes in, in that, but I kind of feel that privacy honestly does not exist anymore in any sector. I mean, I feel that anytime I go to google.com and search for something, somebody is tracking me. Every time I use my iPhone, somebody is like, like I kind of feel, I don't know how much, uh, I, I believe it's a problem. I just think it's beyond medicine. Would you agree? A thousand percent. And that's why this technology exists because it's a huge ubiquitous problem that touches 
every industry, not just ours. So what is that technology that you are uh, referring to? Decentralized identity or self-sovereign identity. And uh, yeah. So how, how, how do, uh, are you doing this? Is that where you apply blockchain into it to, to be able to do the decentralized identity? Or because I, I know that there are some elements of blockchain of what you do, and I'm literally no idea what blockchain is. So uh, that's, uh, it may be a very stupid question, so don't laugh at me. <laughs> no, no, I mean, it's kind of like, you know, it's funny when I was in medical school, I went to one of my girlfriend's houses and she had like a big purple, green, orange blob colored in crayon on her wall. And it said brachial plexus. And I said, what's that? She's like, oh, my friends made that for me as a joke because they think that everything I do is just so random and weird and they don't understand it. And so blockchain's kind of like that. It's like the blockchain. What is the blockchain? What is a blockchain? It sounds like this word that's being thrown away around. We're talking about NFTs. What the heck is an NFT? But reality is like saying the word blockchain is like saying the word internet. And it's like saying it back in like 1994, 1995, when most people didn't even know what it was. Uh, you know, the internet was accessible in only 50% of US households in 2000. So we're talking like 1994, 1995, the concept of the interest internet is still kind of obscure. People aren't really doing transactions yet. You know, Amazon and Google are just being born, you know, Sergey Brin and Larry Page, the, the founders of Google, they tried to sell the company for like a, a million dollars or something in 1997 and nobody wanted to sell it. Nobody wanted to buy it. So, I mean, we're talking about that area. It's very, very early. So it makes sense that you don't understand it. Uh, and I really, you know, I don't understand all of the applications because I've been so focused on decentralized identity. But the fact of the matter is similar to the way that the internet is now ubiquitously applied and we basically can't function without it. It's going to be the same in the future with blockchain and distributed systems regarding data ownership, data provenance, um, and personal control of, of information, of, of cryptocurrencies, of art, of music, of every industry. So the underpinning of what you would love to achieve is um, autonomy from the system where the physicians, for example, have complete control over their destiny, over their data. And when you talk about the data that the physicians want to have access to and protect, what kind of data are we talking about? Personal data, professional data, what, what, how granular that data is? So any data that you generate so right now people are talking about uh, owning all of your data across across the internet so um you know my prescribing da data my referral data uh how often I'm, am i prescribing this medicine for this population of people um where am i working and how long am i working there what medical devices am i using um this is all information that's being captured by the ehr and um you know EHR systems are great in many ways. They're, they're giving us a way to kind of share patient data in ways that makes it easier to take care of them. But they're also experiencing data breaches. Uh, and there's ransomware that's being put on, on health system EHRs and they're stealing patient data and they're locking people out. And so we need a more secure way to own and, and store this. And so blockchain stores data in a different way 
that um, is not centralized. So that's why we say decentralized. So um, it's distributed. Uh, so another word for blockchain is distributed ledger technology. So um, you have distributed information, not one person owns it, control it. Therefore, there's no one point of entry for a hacker to get in. Um, and there's no way for one person to control the algorithms for how that data is used in shares. That's also distributed. The protocol for how that data is used is individually controlled by the individual nodes or the individual users on the network. That is what makes blockchain different from our current system of data organization management and sharing. So, you know, I mean, you went to medical school and you did emergency room. So it's not something you get trained on when you're in medical school or in practice. How did you, what did you do? Uh, unless maybe you were always uh, interested in, in technology and so forth. Did you, did you familiarize yourself? Did you read? Did you like, how did you become so versed in something that I don't believe medical school usually, medical schools usually train us in? You know, it's really interesting. I'm going to talk, I'm going to do some throwback stories. That Please, I love that. <laughs> this one might age me. Um, but uh, around the same time that, uh, you know, 50% of U.S. households had the internet was the same year that I graduated from high school and entered college. And um, when I entered college, the guidance counselor looked at my math uh, and science scores and said, why don't you take a computer science course? And I didn't even have the internet in my home. So I was like, what's that? <laughs> and I didn't understand what it was. It didn't make sense to me. And so I said, no, I'm not doing that. I'm going to be a doctor. And I took my organic chemistry and all that stuff. So I was never really uh, super computer savvy um, still to this day. I do not consider myself an expert by any means, but I do like learning. And I, do, I did get into investing uh, early in my career. I wanted to find ways to create financial freedom for myself. So I got into some real estate investing. I did some day trading. And with my physician colleagues, we used to talk about what we were investing in. And one of them, 2012, said, check out this thing called Bitcoin. <laughs> and he, sends me, he sends me a video on YouTube. And I'm like, I don't understand this. But I did see what happened to Apple stock and Google stock and Amazon stock. And I realized that I made a mistake and I probably should have taken that computer course back in college, but I realized how important it was to pay attention to new technologies and to follow them and to understand them. If you really want to create wealth and to be able to like, you know, uh, have opportunities in the future. So I learned about it back in 2012 and started following it then. And I started following every single potential healthcare application, in the blockchain healthcare space, because that was my wheelhouse and my understanding, you know, and, um, I learned about decentralized identity and all that stuff. I moved to San Francisco. So I got to live in Silicon Valley where a lot of the people who understood this and a lot of the- Is that why you moved? You wanted to create like Silicon Valley opportunities. You felt it's probably more in, in uh, like the Bay Area versus New York. Was that part of the motive or was just like- I personal reason? I there to just experience something different. I, I got divorced and I was like, I want to move across the country. Uh, yeah, but I, you know, but it's where I got to learn a lot more in depth and I started investing. So I did a little investing in some Ethereum and some Bitcoin pretty early. Not so much because otherwise I'd be in a different position right now. And I did sell some a little bit too early um, while my mom was sick and stuff. But long story short, I learned about it. 
just by being curious and digging and looking and yeah and and now and now you have a, a company right i mean you're the chief executive officer of your own company i actually have two companies now okay tell us about them so um the first so the first one is hpack hpack is a mobile application currently available on the app store you can go and uh, download it as long as you have an invitation. We're doing invite only to start. Um, and it's for physicians only. And it allows you to either upload your paper credentials, store them, share them, um, or uh, you also have the opportunity to receive digital credentials from any credential issuing body, whether it's a residency program or a continuing medical education program or your state licensing board. Um, and so we are working on pilot projects. And so we're in the middle of a pilot project with a an ACGME accredited residency program who's gonna issue their permanent digital credentials into the wallets of doctors. And then there's also a communication protocol in there and a reputation management system. So you own your data, you own your identity, you own your connections and your referral network rather than some narrow insurance referral network forcing your patients. You now can own it and control it yourself. That's the real power of this. And then um, EverCred is- and, we, and before we move to the second one, for sure. that one, the HPAC, um, so is your vision for that company is that all ACGME uh, accredited programs and all the, I mean, ABIM or whatever other board uh, uh, they will when they issue a certificate they will upload it into that platform is that what you're thinking so the interesting thing is so this is where i can explain how decentralized identity is different so all hpec does is creates an opportunity for you as a doctor to have your secure cloud agent that only you own and that only you control and we use decentralized identity protocols to give any system in the world who also uses those standards-based protocols to issue you a digital credential into your secure, self-sovereign, you own it, you control it, identity wallet. Now you can take that data and go elsewhere. If you don't like HPAC, they can issue you to a credential in another system. This is not about me wanting the world to use my system. This is about me wanting to empower the individual doctors to be able to own and control their data. I mean, do doctors pay to be part of that platform? Like, do I need to pay a monthly fee to have that system? Or like, you must, you have to make money somehow from, from there, no? Well, I'm, I'm hoping that we can keep this free for doctors. Um, okay. uh, and the way that we want to potentially monetize it, there's several ways, you know. What people don't realize is when we go online to Twitter, to Facebook, to LinkedIn, to Doximity, to Reddit, sure, they're providing a service. They're giving us a way to connect with each other. <clears throat> and that's the value that we find. But where do they get the value? They get the value from scraping our data and selling it Absolutely. to advertising firms or spamming us with ads from Pharma and the AMA and all these systems that are currently trying to seek to destroy us sometimes, you know? And so will we do ads? Maybe if we have to, I'd prefer not to. Uh, the way I'd really like to make sure, make it work is have physicians charge for 
their credentials, their data, their service directly. And we take a small transactional fee. So for example, if you wanna share your prescribing data or you wanna share your credential data, you can charge them. You can say, I'll charge you $300 per quarter and you have access for the next three months and they get the provenance data, they get their regulatory compliance information and you have control, you can revoke that, you give a time limit and you get paid for it and we take a small transactional fee. That's the vision for how we can monetize HPAC. But, it, you know, we're an early startup, so uh, it might change. No, that, 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 that's great. I mean, I am trying to think, I mean, I honestly could also be scaled up beyond physicians and, and healthcare, right? Because I think there are, you know, any profession might have the same issue in terms of credentialing and they, you could, you know, you could think of this for lawyers, accountants, I mean, and, and, and so on. What's the other company? So we realized that we needed the credential issuing system as well. And we considered the currently available self-sovereign identity credentialing systems out there, but none of them worked well for our current use case. None of them were really serving the exact needs of a physician. So we said, oh, we got to make that too. So we built the credential issuing system. So Evercred, evercred.com um, is a new company that um, is the dashboard that will allow you as a company or an entity to spin up a decentralized identifier. You can do it yourself and you can build your own dashboard or you can use ours uh, in order to issue digital credentials to doctors. Okay, that is interesting. Okay, and is that, uh, where is that in the stage of, uh, I'm going to title this episode like entrepreneurship. This is like, you know, I mean, this is really very interesting. So the, the, second, um, the second one, where is in the stage of uh, uh, evol uh, evolution, if you will? Um, it's done. Halfway through HPAC development, we realized we had to develop it. So we extended the development sprint for two reasons. Number one, we needed to develop this Evercred system. And number two, we had a pilot project with this uh, academic residency program. So the pilot project now has their decentralized identifier and they have a way to issue permanent digital credentials to the graduating classes. Mm -hmm. And uh, monetizing this? So right now, um, we don't realize this. But in the background, when they send us these huge credentialing packets, yeah. we send a copy of all of our stuff, then somebody in HR contacts every single one of these entities. And they say, is this real? <laughs> and they say, yeah, it's real. <laughs> and all of that is money. Time is money. The databases that they use to hold student information or learner information or graduate information, they're called student information systems. Um, and they cost a lot of money to maintain. And they have like 18 different systems. And this one's for current users, and this one's for future graduates, and this one's where we keep all the paper credentials. And this is, and then they have to have, you know, John Doe or whoever go into the office and look in these systems. And so we have a solution for them where they're never gonna have to do that again. So all of that time, money, human resources, so outdated DOS, legacy systems that they're using to do this, this workflow can be eliminated. And so they can pay for the Evercred system instead. Now, Leah, as you as you ventured into those two ideas, I mean, 
Um, and, I, and I'll say this is where entrepreneurship is because it's you think of something and you, you take it from point A to point B. I'm sure you looked at whether there's any competition in that particular space. I can't even think of any company that is doing what you are actually doing specifically, but obviously I'm not in that space. Is there, I mean, are there a lot of companies that are trying to do what you're doing? Um, there's a couple. One uh, just raised $10 million, actually. And they're working in Ohio with a Cleveland clinic, I believe. Um, so, yeah, you know, just like back in 1994, we had, you know, Yahoo and AOL and Gmail and all this stuff. Yes, there are many people working on so this. Not as many as you would think, though. Yeah, but so, but part of your role as the uh, creator and the CEO and uh, of, of these companies is to raise funds and money. I mean, do you, I mean, I'm sure you put obviously some of your own funds, but you're relying also on external funders uh, to try to raise money to, right? Because he, you know, tell us about that a little bit. And I'm curious. I mean, did you have to hire? Uh, employees to work with you full time to build what you're trying to achieve where mere contractors and trying just to you know how, like, how does that even work entrepreneurship's a journey man it's I know it's crazy <laughs> um okay so yes I bootstrapped for the first year um and then we raised uh $650,000 from doctors mostly and we did most of it on a crowdfund and crowdfunding is kind of a new way of investing that allows any investor, you don't have to be accredited, to invest in a startup. And it's made uh, possible with the 2016 Jobs Act. And you can go on the FINRA website and you can see the list of all the potential crowdfunding websites that you can use. You do have to use a portal because it's an SEC regulated thing. You're selling securities, mm -hmm. so you're regulated. And so we sold stock in the company. And so this is a physician-owned, physician-run, physician-controlled, physician-designed company uh, because we want it to be owned by the people that use it. That's what, that is the, the essence of decentralization, uh, owned by the individuals that use the network. And that's why we did it that way. And so, you know, uh, technical talent is more expensive than physician talent. Um, they command very high compensation. And I was very fortunate to find brilliant developers who are uh, subject matter experts in this. Um, and so I did have full-time uh, developers on this who did the MVP, who built all of this out. And we're gonna need to hire more. And we also are gonna need to work on operations. You know, I'm doing a lot of stuff on my own. And yes, I'd love to, I'd love to get the right people um, on this, this journey with us because I think this is gonna be very big. So as an entrepreneur who's running now two companies, how do you spend your day? I mean, is it, are you, um, are you meeting investors? I mean, it's probably going to be all of the above, but I'm like, you know, if we take a day in your life, is it a lot of uh, phone calls trying to uh, meet with investors or trying to talk to physicians or technology piece? It's probably all of the above, right? Yeah. I mean, so we just launched the app store last week. So, and then we just did a pilot. You download the app. Yeah, do it. I'll send you an invitation. You have to get an invitation from us to start. Yeah. And, uh, you know, once we have, you know, 500 or so docs, we're going to give them all an invite. Yeah, yeah. And you know, 
just to let everybody know, um, if you want to look into Uniswap, they did something similar, a blockchain crypto company. But the earliest HPAC onboarders and users, first of all, our investors are the first ones that are getting invitations. And um, the people that are the initial onboarding users, people who are part of our community early, are going to be the first ones who know about ICOs, cryptocurrency, uh, potential investments in the future, if we, if we do stuff like that, which is potentially, you know, it's a possibility. So the earlier you, you get on board, the more access you have, uh, the more opportunity you have. And so, you know, sign up on our website, get in line to get your, um, to get your invitation, to get your access pass. And, you know, you'll get one via email or text. You know, uh, speaking of how, 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 like, Twitter and, and other social media platforms, they really take the data. Did you see there was a documentary? I think it's been, it's a year old now. It was on Netflix and it's called The Social uh, Dilemma. Mm -hmm. It's uh, about a 90 minute documentary. It really talks to your earlier point. You know, all of these social media platforms, we are the product. Like us, the humans are the product because if I click on several sites and they get to know my preference and and it's weird i mean a couple of times i was actually having a phone conversation this is like true story phone conversation with a colleague about the trip that i'm planning because i had a i need to go to boston and you know just like an hour later i was just basically trying to scroll through my browser and i get on my screen Trips to Boston, Chicago to Boston, and like, you know, click here for like low fares or something. I'm like, how? Like, I, I, I don't want to be paranoid, but like something is off. I mean, I, I wasn't even searching yet. Well, so here's the thing. Yes, I saw the social network. Um, yes, that is why we have built HPAC and why we built not only the credential wallet, but the social privacy connection opportunity for doctors. You know, we're at a precipice right now. We have to make a decision as doctors. Do we want to untether ourselves from the systems that are essentially using us to generate revenue and to make money off of the pain and suffering of patients? Or are we going to take ownership of our data, our right to work, our right to privacy, our patient's right to privacy? And are we going to leverage that in more aligned ways? to optimize patient care and to create more wellness and less burnout in, in our fellow colleagues. This is our choice. If we just take the easy path of just doing whatever's easy, well, there's gonna be consequences. And the consequences are, they might be listening to you when you're talking. I don't know. Probably. So, so as you build this, um, how do you, how do you, when you sit back, how do you decide your measures of success? Uh, uh, you know, I mean, again, a, a, in any business decision, right, there are certain milestones that sometimes you may have to say, I'm not going to pursue this, I'm going to pursue that, I may need to stop, I, goodness, I, it was a great idea, but I don't think it's, you must have certain milestones or measures of success to determine that you're on the right path. In this line of business, which I'm learning about and I'm excited, I'm learning something new. What are these measures of success and how do you determine that you're on the right path or you need to pivot one way or another? Well, there's 
a list of reasons that companies fail. And uh, some of the two or three top reasons are uh, they run out of money um, or they don't have product market fit um, or there's co-founder disagreements, I think is the third one. And then there's a bunch of other ones, but those are the three top, top ways. So like product market fit, how do you determine that? Right. How do we determine whether or not what we're building is actually wanted and needed? You know, it's really a test. Uh, an MVP, a startup is a test. Uh, I don't know if, I think it was uh, a start, the startup manual. I read books all the time. Like all I do is read books about startups and business and, you know, blockchain because it's not my wheelhouse and I'm still trying to like make sure I understand it. But I think the startup manual said uh, a startup is an early stage company that's seeking a repeatable and scalable business model. So, you know, you asked me, how am I gonna monetize this? I have some ideas, I gave you one or two of them, but the only way to know if that's actually gonna work is to get as many doctors as possible on board and to see what they think and to hear what they loved and what they didn't love. What was the magical experience that they had that they was like, they, they can't get enough of? And what features are they ignoring? I personally think the social network piece is very important. I think, having privacy in your communications and owning your referrals and owning your right to work are very important. Um, but will my, will our fellow colleagues agree? Um, or will they prefer to stay employed and, um, you know, stay part of the narrow insurance networks yeah. and stay, you know, controlled? I don't know. It's a test. Yeah. And I think you alluded earlier about financial freedom. Some of the decisions that physicians make because they may not have the financial freedom and they are scared. Right. I mean, it's not always easy. So um, you went into this journey over the past. Now, how long you've been doing this? So we founded the company in July of 2019. Um, so it's been a two year, uh, uh, two and a half uh, uh, years. I guess, number one, what were you surprised with that you didn't like? Like, what, you know, when you go into this venture, you may be surprised by things you don't like, and then there's things you like. What were you surprised with things you like, things you don't like? And if you can pivot from that into with COVID-19, did that, were there anything that you, that your company as a startup suffered from because it's COVID-19 or was it like an opportunity to refine certain things because of the pandemic? So I'll answer the first question, which was what did I not like about it? Um, and, you know, I'm on a journey uh, in this life. You know, this is just, uh, we're just here for a blip in time. Uh, we get to experience life. We get to experience living on this earth. Um, and I really try to have the uh, mindset that I like everything. You know, suffering is part of life. Difficulty is part of life. If you're not experiencing difficulties, if you're not, uh, overcoming obstacles, then you're not in the game uh, or you're not playing the right game. If life is easy, you're not progressing, you're not learning. So even though I did have moments of frustration and moments of disappointment and the entrepreneurship journey is like this, you know, um, every single experience I had, be it the sensation of a win or the sensation of a loss, I looked at it as an opportunity, an opportunity to learn, to grow, to iterate, to pivot, you know, I was a little bit stressed out when I was looking for a self-sovereign identity provider and I couldn't find one. 
And then I decided to build my own system. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that was a pivot. That was a little frustrating, but now I'm glad that I did it. Um, you know, who knows if I'll say the same thing in a year from now. Yeah. So that's the answer to that question. And then you also asked about coronavirus. Um, in my opinion, coronavirus exposed our fractured healthcare system and it exposed the exhaustion and burnout and abuse of our fellow physician colleagues. Um, so even though we have personally been experiencing it for a very long time, it's the first time that the public got to hear about Ming Lin, who was fired by Team Health for speaking up about patient safety. It's the first time the patient community got to hear about doctors being sprayed down with chemicals because they didn't have enough PPE. Um, you know, these are pretty crazy stories. It's the first time people have to hear about doctors who died from COVID because they didn't have the proper PPE or died by suicide because of the stress and the abuse and the moral injury that they had experienced. This is this is the first time that it's been exposed. So I don't wanna say that Corona helped because coronavirus has been horrible for everybody and we're still in the middle of it and we still need to find you know solutions and get everybody vaccinated and you know try to get back to a, a, you know some normalcy but um it did expose the problems that we're trying to solve somewhat and gave people a little bit more context so in some ways i think it helped from a business perspective no i mean this is really uh, amazing um and like I said, I'm going to this this episode to me is a, a conversation with an entrepreneur. Let me ask you a question that um, I think it's I think it's important, but you tell me if it's completely out of place. But do you feel in your journey, do, do you, have you I mean, female entrepreneurs versus male entrepreneurs? Do you feel that there's it's easier for one or another? Uh, do you feel there are certain challenges that are very specific because you're a woman as opposed to being a man as you go into this journey? Because again, I mean, you know, we, we hear a lot of things pertaining to academic medicine and uh, to uh, salaries and other things. But you're like, I, you know, I put you in a different class. This is like an, you're going into a journey of an entrepreneur building, in, hopefully an empire that you are creating. How much do you... Uh, Tell me about your experience um, and whether you felt there was any challenges specifically pertaining that you're a woman as opposed to being a man. So I believe that your thoughts are your reality. Um, and I was raised in a family of women. My mother and parents, my mom and dad were uh, divorced when I was young. And, you know, my grandfathers all died younger, earlier. So I had my grandmothers and my great aunts and my, you know, and so... I was never, you know, I never thought about it. You know, I never thought about it. And I think when I think about opportunity in this country, um, I think that socioeconomic status influences things more than anything else. Um, unfortunately, we live, you know, people say smash the patri patriarchal, it's a patriarchal society. Yeah, okay, yes, maybe it's a little easier for guys, but. I think the bigger issue and the issue that's not paid attention to, and I think the mainstream media doesn't want us to pay attention to, is the socioeconomic divide and the fact that if you don't have access to capital from a very young age, access to healthy food, a safe place to work, uh, a place where you can sleep without being disrupted by noise or abuse or all these things that 
young children um, in uh, Warsaw socioeconomic statuses often experience, that's what the biggest deterrent is. When you are born into you know, a family of means, you get to experience all of the things, the exposure to, the access to, and all of that stuff, you know? I'm listening to entrepreneur podcasts and I kind of like roll my eyes every time <laughs> I hear somebody come on. You know, there's actually a comedy, I forget what the movie is, but they're making fun of this because it's like a lot of these people who like, oh, like I'm an entrepreneur. I started this from scratch. Yeah, this it was just me and a half a million dollar check from my parents. Just or, half a million, that's it. And so it's like, okay, to really, I mean, I, I came from nothing. You know, I'm the first in my family to go to college. So, you know, it's different coming from nothing, you know? So I think that that is where um, the opportunity is more difficult, but I'm trying to create opportunity my, for myself. I put myself in the situations where I'm going to meet the right people and I put myself out there and I talk to lovely people like you on podcasts so I can get the word out. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm a big fan, really. Are you, uh, have you, uh, I just, this just came to me when you said the half a million dollar and all that. So how about Shark Tank? Shark Tank, Leah. Yeah. What about it? Have you thought about going on Shark Tank? Um, so many, many people have said to go on Shark Tank. Uh, I think they take a significant part of your company just to go on the show. They do. I think oh, it might just, to, just to go on the show, they do that. That's one of it. One of the things. And also I'm noticing that they, their commodity, uh, Shark Tank, if you think about it, they are selling things, granola bars, widgets, yeah. blah, 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 blah. So, um, technologies, I haven't seen very many technology companies go through Shark Tank and have a good experience in part because like people got to see it, feel it, think it, and they need to relate. It needs to be a common problem that most people experience. Yeah. The problem of identity and privacy and burnout is, is, is a problem that's specific to us as physicians. Yeah. So would I go on if like one of the Shark Tank people called me up and said, please, we want you on the show. Sure. Why not? I even would give up part of the company because I think it would give good exposure, but that's not something I'm looking for, you know? Yeah, I, I, I like what I, you know, whenever sometimes I have time, I, I watched a little bit. I think one of the things that um, the challenging is you have to do the entire pitch in less than seven minutes. It's like weird. Like sometimes you, it's not easy to do that pitch really fast. Sometimes you just need to, to understand it a little bit more and all that stuff. Um, anything I should have asked you, I did not uh, ask you that... Um, uh, you want to talk about, elaborate uh, on, um, this has been a lot of fun, conversation with an entrepreneur. Oh, I appreciate that. Um, no, I don't think so. I mean, I, I, every single physician who's listening, I would love for you to sign up uh, to get your early access pass. Mm -hmm. I'd love you to consider the possibility that this is our chance to uh, reclaim ownership over our profession, to reclaim our autonomy, and to really protect our patients from the malaligned incentives in our current system. That is what this is about. Um, I, I want people to, you know, to realize that there is hope and to not, you know, some of the best doctors are leaving, you know, some of the, some of the most caring, compassionate, empathetic doctors are, are leaving. And unfortunately, some are dying by suicide. There are better opportunities for us ahead, I promise. And they can actually, your website is hpec.io. That's right. Uh, and uh, your Twitter handle is at Leah with an H, Houston MD. So hopefully they get to know a lot uh, about you. 
Leah, this has been a lot of pleasure to, to talk uh, with you. And I certainly hope we will meet in person at some point soon, either in the Midwest, in the beautiful city of Chicago, or in the Bay Area. Likewise, likewise. It was such a pleasure. And thank you for listening, everyone. Absolutely. And thanks for wearing the T-shirt. That is, yeah, that is going it. to be, that is, that is transformative. I'm telling you, that's transformative. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> thank no, you so much. I love it. Thank you. Okay, folks, it's been a pleasure to uh, have Dr. Leah Houston on the Healthcare Unfiltered. And I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope you learned a lot from uh, Dr. Houston. Certainly, it's been a pleasure to have her on the show and uh, be inspired by what she has accomplished so far. And hopefully, she will continue to accomplish more and uh, more. Please let me know how you think of the show. You can direct message me on Twitter at Chadi Nabhan. You can send me an email through my website, www.chadinabhan.com. Also, check out all of the features on the website and let me know what you are thinking. And don't forget to watch all of these episodes on my YouTube channel, uh, the uh, Healthcare Chadi Nabhan and Healthcare Unfiltered. Also, don't forget to subscribe and hit the like button. Don't forget to rate the show. Very much appreciate your support. You've been amazing to support this show, and I hope that I would continue to earn your support moving forward. Before I let you go, I'm going to leave you with a saying to Winston Churchill. Success consists of going from failure to failure without loss of enthusiasm. Until next time, take care.